Well, good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors. It's great to see you this morning. And we're going to jump right into the series that we've been in for the past few months. We've been looking at Genesis chapters 12 through 36. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we do every week for the reading of God's Word. Will you stand? The same night, Jacob, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever, Isaiah tells us. Let me pray. Lord God, would you bless your word, and would you speak to us this morning? Would you awaken our thoughts to you? Would you plow the hard places of our hearts. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and change us, we pray this morning. It is no light thing to have you speak to us. And so we come and and we ask that you would cause us to listen. Remove me, the one who has the honor and the privilege to, to speak your word. Would Christ be seen, and would the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, Lord Jesus, be pleasing to you this morning? And would we all be changed because of being with you and having you spoke, speak to us this morning? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, about three years ago, I started doing CrossFit as exercise. And when you get into CrossFit, uh, they start talking about the paleo diet. If you've ever heard, even if you're not in CrossFit, maybe you've heard of the paleo diet. Uh, And throughout the years, I've been up and down at sticking to the paleo diet. The paleo diet is you cannot eat processed foods, uh, no breads, no sugars, no dairy, no grain. All the things that I love, right? And, And when I'm sticking to this diet, I have to fight my craving for a big bowl of cereal, for a craving of just going down the street from our house and eating the parlor ice cream or chips and salsa or cheese and crackers. I mean, a host of things that I have to resist. And now that you're all hungry and ready for lunch, uh, (laughs) but seriously, if if I want to see change in my weight, if I want to lose weight, I have to fight against my cravings and conquer my appetite. And and most changes that we want to see happen, we have to enter into a fight. And, And the fight normally has the aim of us conquering, coming out on top in order to see the change, to topple whatever it is that we're warring against. Now this morning, I want to talk about the most important type of change, 
And it's spiritual change, a deep transformation, a change in which we become more like who God created us to be, a spiritual transformation. And we can walk to any bookstore and you can see the self-help section, all of these new books overflowing with ways you can change yourself, right? the, the 10 ways to uh, becoming better at your job, the five ways to have a better family. Self-help is not what I'm talking about this morning. If you've ever tried to change your own heart, <laughs> have you ever tried to tell your heart in the midst of anxiety and stress to have peace? Have you ever tried to tell your heart to stop getting angry? I've tried it many times and still try until this day, thinking I have the ability to change my own heart, but it's futile, isn't it? We realize pretty quickly we cannot change our own hearts. For a deep spiritual change to occur within our hearts and within our lives, we must enter into a fight. But in this fight, the aim is not for us to come out on top. For deep spiritual transformation to happen in our lives, we must enter into a fight in which we will be toppled, in which we will be defeated, a fight that we must lose. So this morning, let's look at a fight that leads to change. Now the fighter coming out of the red corner, his name is Jacob. And Jacob's very name means deceiver, heel grabber. Jacob came out of the womb grabbing after the heel of his twin brother Esau. In the ancient Near East, uh, names were given children to be descriptive of who they were. So Jacob is rightfully called Jacob, heel grabber, the deceiver. Now, we have many babies being born into our church, and uh, many that are uh, coming in the next few months. What if we named our children like that today? Right? What, here is my son or daughter, sarcasm. Right? <laughs> here is my daughter, the deceiver. Right? Uh, Jacob means deceiver. He is scheming, conniving, looking out for number one since the day of his birth. And he continues his whole life scheming taking the birthright from Esau's twin brother, stealing the, the blessing from his father Isaac. And in all of Jacob's scheming and planning, he always comes out on top. And Esau finally has enough. And he plans to kill Jacob. He's going to kill Jacob. So Jacob flees. Flees to his uncle Laban's house where he marries Leah and Rachel. And then in his time there, he ends up outwitting his uncle. And he becomes extremely wealthy and rich. And then we pick up in Genesis chapter 32. And it's been 20 years since Jacob had left home. And God is now calling Jacob back to the promised land. Back home. And upon this call home, I guarantee you that Jacob's first image in his head is the hairy, angry face of his brother Esau, who told him 20 years earlier, I'm going to kill you. Jacob's full of fear. He's afraid, and he's thinking, I'm going to go fight my brother, and he's going to kill me. So what does Jacob do? At the beginning of chapter 32, he sends messengers ahead of him to meet Esau in, an order, in order to attempt to find favor. And the messengers return to tell Jacob, Esau's coming, and he's not alone. He's got 400 men with him. So now Jacob's shaking in his boots. Verse 7 tells us he's greatly afraid. So Jacob does what he knows how to do. He begins to scheme and plan. 
He divides his people into two groups, thinking that if Esau attacks, then one group will survive, it will not be complete defeat. And then Jacob also decides to send presents to Esau, to try and butter, butter Esau up, to soften his brother. He sends 200 female goats, 20 male goats, rams and donkeys. It's just This was not like a $25 Target gift card. <laughs> he is raining down presents in order to appease his brother Esau. Jacob's good. He's incredibly good at scheming and planning. But let's look at verses 22 to 24. Verse 22 says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, 11 children, crossed the ford of the Jabbok, the Jabbok was the, southern, the most southern part of the promised land. And he sends his wives and children across. <laughs> you pick up on that. How thoughtful of Jacob to send his wives and his children ahead of him into danger, right? Jacob, the deceiver, the heel grabber, he's shaking in his boots. He's afraid, thinking he's finally met his match, his match Esau. Esau's going to kill me. And then verse 24, Jacob was left alone. He's left alone. The deceiver who'd always come out on top, who had, was used to winning, is now all alone in the darkness of the night. And then this mystery man bum rushes Jacob, jumps on Jacob, and they wrestle until the breaking of the day. And Jacob has to be thinking, who the heck is this man that just jumped on me? Is this Esau? Esau's finally arrived. Maybe this is his uncle Laban who's finally found him. And so Jacob is wrestling with all his might. And they're going toe to toe until this man reaches out his finger and touches the hip socket of Jacob. And then Jacob knows this is not an ordinary man. This is God. So how does the process of change begin for Jacob and for us? Here's my first point. Change happens when God shows up in our aloneness. Amen. When God shows up in our aloneness. James, or Jacob comes to a point when all else has failed. He's no longer able to scheme and plan and get his way. He's sitting alone in the darkness. One of the most descriptive passages of the human heart in the whole of the Bible has to be one of the, one of the most is Jeremiah 17 verse 9. That the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Who can trust the heart? Now, the Hebrew word deceitful in Jeremiah 17 is the same Hebrew word as Jacob's name. So Jeremiah 17 could be read like this. Everyone's heart is like Jacob's. We're all Jacob's. <laughs> All of us are in the business of looking out for number one. All of us have the preoccupation with ourselves. The Bible is chock full of Jacobs. The church of the Lord Jesus is full of Jacobs. Self-centered, self-absorbed. And self-absorption and looking out for number one will only last so long. So when you finally get to that point where it just doesn't work anymore, you come to the end and you find yourself alone, in darkness, afraid. I remember watching an older movie, not that old, but early 2000s, the movie Runaway Jury. Uh, Rankin Fitch, played by Gene Hackman. Wendell Rohr, played by Dustin Hoffman. Both are two, law they're, they're two lawyers on the same case. One the prosecutor, one the defender. And Fitch is extremely dirty. All he cares about is winning. Uh, always winning, always wanting to be on top. 
And after one courtroom scene, uh, Roar comes into the bathroom and Fitch is in the bathroom. And Fitch is just scared of one of Roar's key witnesses. And Roar looks at Fitch and he says, Hey, you're going to lose. Maybe not today, but someday you'll lose. And you want to know why? Because winning's going to become malignant until you're all alone in a room. Self-reliance, looking out for number one, leads us to a place of darkness and being alone. And let me ask you this question, all of you who have hearts like Jacob. (laughs) Do you or will you allow yourself to feel the darkness? And do you allow yourself to sit in feeling alone? Do you know what it's like to sit there? It's really hard for me, I've got to be honest. I want to turn on my TV I want to listen to music. I want to pick up my phone. I want to read a book. I want to do some chores. I want to work on my house. There are many other things that I would rather do than sit and feel my aloneness and let the reality of my life come to light. I don't want to sit there and let my fears surface, my pain and my hurt and my sadness surface. But it's in that place of feeling alone and being in the dark that change begins to happen for Jacob. God shows up and initiates with Jacob. God jumps on Jacob, rings the bell, and starts the wrestling match. See, Jacob thought the greatest fight of his life was about to be entered with his twin brother Esau, and he was gearing up for that fight, still focused on himself, still thinking about how he could scheme and get out of these circumstances until he was alone, and God showed up and started the greater fight of dealing with Jacob's heart, not his circumstances. Listen, church, change begins when you realize that God wants to change your heart, not always your circumstances. And the change begins when we allow ourselves to sit and to stop and to pause in the darkness and our hurt and pains, and fears, and sadness, and to quiet the noises, turn off the TV, turn off the music, and the internet, and Instagram, stop studying, stop working, stop traveling, stop staying so busy, and then stay there, and God will show up, and it'll be a wrestling match, but it's there that change and transformation happens. Look at verses 25 to 26. In verse 25, it says, The man did not prevail against Jacob, so he touched Jacob's hip socket. And then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. If you've ever heard this passage preached on, I've heard it preached on before, and I've heard it preached in this way. that I mean, look at Jacob's struggle. Look at his faith. I mean, he made God throw in the towel. I mean, in this wrestling match, Jacob had incredible faith. God had to give up. No, that's not really the picture here. The picture is is much more like a two-year-old who's wrestling with his dad, right? And the dad's saying, okay, son, I've got to go to work. And the son is wrapped around the father's leg, and he's like, okay, son, I've got to go. And the son's going, no, dad, don't leave. Don't leave until you bless me. See, the picture is one of great desperation rather than triumph and victory. And it's at this point that Jacob now knows that this mystery man is God. Because God reaches out his finger and touches Jacob in his hip socket. Puts his hip out of joint. 
Any of you are wrestlers in a, in a wrestling match, you toss your opponent with your hips, right? Your power comes from your hips. God wounded Jacob in the pivotal place of strength and balance. God wounded Jacob in his strongest place, from the place that he derived his power. Where do you look for power? Where do you seek to be strong? Is it in having positions of influence? Is it in your job? Is it in being liked by people? Is it in your family? Is it in this church? Catch this. Change happens when God touches the places that we look to for power. When God disrupts those areas. So be aware. God will come after you in the ways that you're self-reliant and you look for strength outside of Him. That's how change happens. The whole life of Jacob up until chapter 32, Jacob never prays. He never prays. He's always scheming. And now he's deeply wounded, having his strength taken away, and he's crying out in desperate prayer. Please, God, bless me. Don't go until you bless me. And here's my second point on how we change. Change happens when God wounds us into desperate prayer. This is where and when change takes place, when we are courageous enough to sit alone and wrestle with God, and then God wounds us into desperate prayer. It's exactly what prayer is. Prayer is sitting alone with God, verbally, emotionally, and spiritually wrestling with Him. And prayer is often the most overlooked discipline in the Christian life. It's the most difficult thing to consistently do, I can attest to that, but it is one of the most important things that we must do. It's in sitting alone in prayer and wrestling with God that God begins to humble us, reveals to us what it is that we look to for strength and balance, and in wrestling with God, He wants to touch this place and graciously wound us into desperation and humility rather than pride. It's in the place of weakness that God changes our self-boasting and self-absorption into a humble cry. If you caught that the text says that Jacob prevailed. How did Jacob prevail? You see, we think prevailing means that that Jacob accomplished what he set out to do. But this story shows us we have that all wrong. That the one who prevails with God is actually the one who is humbled. Jacob is changed and prevails as he's humbled into prayer. And that seems foolish for most of us. But I can say that this has always been the case for me in my life. I've seen the most spiritual change in my life when I have suffered and I've felt my weakness and I've been humbled and all I knew to do was cry out for God to bless me. When I went to China as a missionary coming out of college, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was learning a new culture. I was missing home. I was asked to lead a team in my second year as a 22-year-old. I didn't have a clue what I was doing and I felt extremely weak in what God was doing at that point and what I felt Him doing as we've been planting this church, is that God has been removing what I think I'm competent in. 
He's been removing my competency. And I look back at that time and at this time and think it's one of the most significant times of my life in regards to God changing me. While in seminary, I actually wrestled with God about what I really believe. My second year, one of the harder years of my life, I wrestled with, do I really believe who God says He is? Do I believe the Scriptures and, and what the Scriptures say they are? And what God was, was doing was removing my pride of thinking I knew it all. And it was one of the most difficult times, one of the most significant times in my life. In marriage, there have been times when I've been confronted by how deep my sin runs and how it affects my wife to the point that I don't know what to do but, but pray. Amen. To cry out and pray. And what God has been doing over and over is removing my pride of thinking I'm a pretty good guy. <laughs> that I'm a pretty nice guy. No, I'm not. I'm Jacob. But that's where ch- this is where change takes place. God must remove our source of strength, our source of balance. God must remove the things we leverage off of for power, like a wrestler with their hips. So church, we must boast in the things that show weakness. Healing and change always happens when God touches us in the places that we want to guard and protect. So do you want change? Sit and stay in your weakness. And that is so hard for all of us. The world, culture that we're in, and, and other, every other religion across the globe tells us to be strong and to strive towards God or strive to be God. And Christianity says, boast in weakness. And that seems like foolishness. But it's in that place of woundedness and weakness that God changes our cry from self-boasting to desperate prayer. Many people, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian, and you'd say this. I've heard many people say this. Christianity, it's just a crutch. It's a crutch to lean on when the world doesn't make sense. It's a, it's a crutch to lean on when somebody's suffering and in pain. Christianity is just a crutch. And I would say, you know what? You're kind of onto something. It's a crutch. It's actually way more than a crutch. It's a stretcher. And it's only when we are completely weak and in that place where God carries us that true change will happen in all of our hearts. Change happens when we sit in our dark and alone times and God shows up, graciously wounds us into desperate prayer. Look at verses 27 to 32. God asked Jacob, Jacob, what's your name? You think God knew Jacob's name? Yes, of course he did. God wanted Jacob to say it. God wanted Jacob to say, my name is the deceiver. My name is the heel grabber. That is who I am. I'm a rebel who looks out for myself. God wanted Jacob to say it. And this is where we have to go if we want to experience true change. God is gracious to show up and to take everything else that we lean on away. He wants us to come to this place of confession. Jacob was confessing, I now see it. I'm a sinner. I'm a schemer. Change will never happen in your life if you don't get to this place of desperation, crying out and confessing that your heart is just like Jacob's. Scheming and self-absorbed. As Jacob confesses, 
who he is, then God right after, immediately after. And verse 28 says, now you'll have a new name. Your new name is Israel. No longer will you be called the deceiver, but now because of your confession, you will be called the one who strives with God or God fights for you. Jacob gets to the place of confession and God gives him a new identity. He's transformed from deceiver into the one who God fights for. Paul tells us in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If we confess that we're weak and that God alone is strong, if we confess that we're sinful and we need a Savior, then God bestows on us a new name. No longer are we sinners, but Christians, little Christs. God sees us as He sees Jesus, perfect, holy, righteous. In verse 30, Jacob receives the blessing from God. And what's that blessing? Jacob sees the face of God. You know how Jacob could see the face of God? You know how we receive the blessing of seeing the face of God? Christ and Christ alone. No one in this room could stand before the presence of a holy, holy, holy God and live. In our sinfulness, we would rightfully be destroyed. But God sent His only Son to take the wrath and extend mercy and grace. For on the cross of Jesus, the wrath of God was poured out for our sinfulness and mercy and grace extended to all of us who don't deserve it. Jesus is the mediator who takes us into the presence, into the face of God. The cross is the place where it appears like those who are against God prevail. But it's in what appears to be weakness, Jesus hanging on a cross, that the world is changed, that we are changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that the cross is foolishness to the world, but it is the power of God to those who believe. And it appears to be weak. Yet the cross is how our God prevails. It's the great paradox of the Christian. Strength is weakness. So church, how do we change? We wait. We sit in our aloneness. We wrestle with God until He touches us in the place of strength and He graciously removes what we lean on. And then we confess our weakness and we boast in our weakness. And then we hear God declare to us that we're not defined by our sin, but we're defined by the grace of Christ to us. We are sons and daughters of the Most High, Christians, and we are blessed. And catch this, Jacob was transformed, given a new identity, changed. But did God fix him completely? Nope. Jacob left this wrestling match walking with a limp. Why did he leave walking with a limp? So that Jacob would always know, and so that people who saw Jacob would always know that God spared him. And God was gracious. So that people would always be pointed to God and to the grace of God. Will people see your limp? Will you allow people to see your weakness and know that you boast in Christ alone? 
Or will you continue to boast in yourself and look out for number one? Christ Central Church, I pray that we're a community of people who love God, love our neighbor, love the city, love the world as we walk with a limp, with humility. Because the self-righteous, self-absorbed church has long caused too many problems in our world. And what Durham and this world needs is a church that leads and serves and loves with a limp. So would you join me in a lifetime of change, daily being changed, where we're met by a God who shows up when we're feeling alone and He wounds us into desperate prayer so that we might know Christ and so that we might be transformed more and more into His likeness. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would do just that. The hard work of sitting alone and letting the darkness come, letting our fears and our sadness and our confusion and our frustration come, and would you meet us there and would you so graciously wound us, take away what we think we can rely on apart from you. And that's a scary prayer because we like to be in control, and so when you remove it, we don't know what to do, and that's exactly where we need to be, crying out to you. Because you are gracious and compassionate, and you change us from sinners to saints. To those who are unloved, to those who are loved more than we could ever imagine because of what Christ has done. Help us to boast in our weakness so that we glory in Jesus and we glory in the cross of Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we come to this table every morning, or every Sunday morning, and God invites the weak and the wounded, the needy and the powerless, those who have felt the darkness. This is a meal where our God meets us. This is a meal where our God graciously wrestles with us. He wrestles us into brokenness, and He wrestles us into confession. And then He leads us to see our new identity forgiven no matter what you've done son and daughter secured by the love of god no matter what sin you have committed this meal celebrates it celebrates what appears foolish to many that god prevails by his son's broken body and by the shedding of his son's blood so may god use this meal in all of our lives this morning to rid us of self-absorption and self-reliance. And may we come into the place of confession so that we can hear the blessing of God, so that we can know Christ, who is the mediator, who ushers us this morning into His presence to receive His grace and mercy and love yet again. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we say this every week, we are so glad you're here. We want you to keep coming back and be honest about wherever you are in the process of searching and questioning what this Christianity thing really means. But this is a meal for those who identify as broken and needy and not having it together and know that our hope is in Christ alone. And if you're not at that place, that's okay. Be there. And and you can participate in two ways this morning. You can come down if you're not at the place of identifying with Christ and you can do this motion. And we'd love to say a prayer of blessing for you. Uh, and, uh, or you're welcome to sit in your pew and just think and meditate on what's been said. And we would love, Timothy and I when many others would love to talk to you if you're interested. What does this mean to be a Christian? We'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, and if you are here this morning 
and you know you're limping, <laughs> you're struggling, you need Jesus, we need Jesus. This morning, this is a meal for you to be strengthened and reminded that God never leaves nor forsakes his people. He's always with us. And so uh, I'm going to ask those uh, who are ushering to come down here when I pray, those of you with children, uh, you are welcome to go get them uh, from Children's Church in the nursery. We'd love to say a prayer blessing for, for your children. Uh, and ushers are going to let you out row by row. You're going to take the, uh, the bread and the wine and juice up front and then head back to your rows. Uh, and again, the ushers will let you out, so don't feel rushed. Uh, and I'm going to pray now. Uh, we have red wine, white grape juice, gluten-free bread uh, for those of you who, who want that option. So let me pray for us. And those ushering, come on down. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are, you are with us this morning. The word that we just heard, we pray uh, that you would lead us to confession. And, and what a great, a great thing that we get to do this morning is to, to hear how you lead us and wrestle us into confession. And then we get to come to this table that is a declaration. And it's a celebration. It is a party and it's a feast that we are not identified by our sin, but we are rejoiced over and celebrated because of Christ. What Jesus has done, we are now ushered to the very face of our God in this meal. So would we taste and would we smell and would we see the love of God abounding to all of us this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.